Welcome to Job Seekers Radio. I'm Andrew. And I'm Scott. This production, this podcast, is meant to provide you, the listener, meaningful support to find great careers faster. And that's whether you're working or not. Today's episode is brought to you by The Anatomy of a Networking Conversation. This is an ebook, a, a free resource that we've created, and you can download it at jobseekersradio.com. Do it today. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. <laughs> Today's episode, we're talking about a very common situation that comes up, the 10 worst assumptions you can make in your career. And this is coming from combined work experience, I right. don't know, uh, 60 I don't, years probably I was going to say, I yeah. don't want to count the number of years. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of counting. Yeah. You might not yeah, have I, a, I don't count fingers. that high in my head. We have a lot of experience in making these worst assumptions. We and, and I wish I could say that I don't anymore. Uh, it's part of the human experience. We do make assumptions and sometimes they, they don't lead us where we think they should. We want to go over a list of things that we think are the most common and probably the worst assumptions that we can make when we get into conversations, whether that's in an interview, in a networking conversation, in a work conversation, you're on the job and maybe you're having an important conversation with someone else. Then again, it may be in what you think is an unimportant conversation that might lead somewhere. These are assumptions that we have made. Generally, we would agree that these would trip everybody up. And it's not like we're not still making some of these assumptions. Absolutely. We're just articulating these to actually speak to ourselves as well sure. as we go through our careers to make sure that we're taking consideration of all of them and not assuming that we aren't going to have an assumption. We do. We will always. How do we minimize the impact that some of these assumptions have? And if we can avoid these that we're going to be talking about, I think it's going to help get us to where we want to be. The first assumption is assuming others will see your performance and you'll be offered a promotion because of it. We we all hope for that. We are working in a culture where hard work pays off. That's that's the myth. And for a lot of people, it actually works. There's more to it than just hard work. We want to make sure that people have their eyes wide open to all of the things that happen. We talk about politics at work. Nobody really likes, I can't say nobody, few people really really enjoy the politics at work. Many people have figured out how to navigate it. I'm reminded of when I first came out of college, I got my first job out of college at a Columbia Sportswear. And it was a company I really wanted to have a long career with. And I made an assumption that if I worked hard, kept my nose to the grindstone, right, did good work and that people would see it and put me into a slot and say, hey, you know, if you're going to consider somebody for that position, you should look at Andrew. And I, that never happened, at least not for me. Right. And then when it got to the point where that position came open and I wanted it and I applied for it, they said I wasn't qualified. So the interesting thing is, even though that I knew I could do the job, they weren't aware of any of the things that I had done. And so many times we hear people say, oh, well, I don't want to toot my own horn or I don't want to sound conceited. Well, you can take that too far if you never 
toot your own horn. And you never talk to people about your accomplishments and the things that you are able to do, especially when it comes to learning and growing in your career. They're not going to think about you learning and growing in your career. Who else is going to speak up for you if you're not going to speak up for yourself? One of the things that I think about when you were talking is, what do you call it when you withhold the truth? Oh, well, that would be a lie of omission. Right. So if you have the truth inside of you, should you not share it with Uh somebody? I like that perspective. Yeah. That's how I look at it. I think that's that's what I encourage all my coaching clients to do that have taught like me, um, work hard, you'll be recognized. Always be humble. Don't talk about yourself. Right. All these things that fall under the the category of manners. And they're still, that's not to say that you shouldn't follow those ideas. And I think it was a Simon Sinek talk uh, about leadership needing humility. And there are a couple others that that have talked about that, but I'm pretty sure it was Simon that was the one that I was watching at the time, um, an interview that he had given where humility is the sort of the linchpin for leadership. But you can be humble while still letting people know about the things that have worked for you and that where the achievements that you have been able to make. That brings us to the second worst assumption you can make in your career, and that is assuming your boss, your manager, your leader, whoever it is, your coworker, has the same values you have. Yeah. Professionally speaking, of course. Well, regardless, I would say that no human being has exactly the same values that I have. Now, the advantage of working in an organization where values are a part of the culture, meaning that they are stated, they are aligned, all of the behaviors within the company are supposed to fall in the guidelines of those values, that makes it a little easier. But we're talking about categories or some broad generalizations for those values. But every single individual is going to have their own set of values based on a plethora of factors, and none of them are going to be the same. So making the assumption that somebody values the same things just because we're working in the same organization or on the same team or doing the same kind of work is a huge mistake. I think of one of the clients I'm coaching at a local organization here, very large one, by the way, and I keep thinking about, you know, this idea of leadership, and she's going into this interaction saying, this is leadership. What I'm getting from my leader is not leadership. It's something else. And that's where you come into situations where you have conflict. And we would not encourage you to get into a conflict without some productive, positive outcome to that process. Speaking specifically of values, I'll never forget the conversation I had many years ago with a director with whom I had worked several years prior to that. And I was complaining to her about this exact scenario where I had a boss who, let's just say the successes that she achieved didn't seem to be tied to her actual work. And I I was going into some detail with my director friend who stopped me and told me, but Scott, she's doing what her leaders value. They just value something different. And that was an important moment in my professional career was to realize that I'm not necessarily aligned with these individuals' specific values. It was a a learning moment for me. Learning is the key to success in today's marketplace. The third assumption you can make is assuming everyone works as hard as you. Yeah, and there's the other side of that, the the assumption that no one works as hard as you. Both of them, uh, we're talking about hyperbole, really, and it's like saying always or never. Neither of those is ever true. There's always some gray area. Everything is shades of gray. If the idea is that you work really hard, be sure that people know 
that you work really hard. Just you shouldn't be wearing this as some kind of badge of honor because you're not the only one who works that hard. There probably are people who are working harder than you. And so how do you deal with that? Well, if I find out that there's somebody who works harder than me, how do I emulate them? How can I work with them, especially those who work really hard and are getting noticed? What's the secret sauce there? How can I learn how to make that secret sauce? It boils down to your definition of hard work. Yeah. And everybody's definition is going to be different. It sure is. I, I have heard of, I haven't met this person yet, of leaders that are like the 24-7 version of uh, a manager, right? They're sending you emails at 2 o'clock in the morning right. and expecting a response. They're working every weekend, right? They're the 24-7 leader and they think they have to do that in order to be perceived as an effective leader. Right. Or they're telling you because they used to do your work. This is the one that seems to drive everyone crazy. It's It seems to be universal. They've done your work. So they, they will tell you how to do your work. And they don't understand that they have just shifted into micromanagement. And I have yet to meet the worker who wants to be micromanaged. Now, there are some who actually use that in their favor so that they don't have to do the critical thinking. We're going to set those aside. The idea that you're, you work harder than everyone else or that everyone works as hard as you, we're really coming back to the idea that People have different values. They have different definitions of success. And to your point, they have different de definitions of what hard work really is. Rather than making the judgment between them, let's learn what works. What is it about that person's work, the one that you think has had success? What have they done that you have done, that you have the things that you have not done? What is that combination? What can you learn from them? Because if you have, if you start out with the sense of curiosity, you're probably going to get a lot further than living in that state of hyperbole. That brings us to the fourth assumption, piggybacking on what Scott said, and that's assuming you don't need to learn anything to be successful. Right. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. I've got all sorts of stories on this. I'll try not to talk too much um, as if that would happen. No, I, I two stories come to mind instantly. The first one was talking with a very good friend of mine um, who actually is a consultant and, and does leadership coaching himself. He was telling me a story about negotiating with a business leader who basically told him, oh, no, I don't need this development, but I want you to train my people. And I, I'm here to tell you that that doesn't work. If the senior leader is not in the trenches with his people, learning it with them and sponsoring that learning opportunity with a sense of accountability and mutual learning and growth and all that, it's not going to work. And so he told this guy, okay, just write me a check. I'll bank it and we'll call it done. And the leader looked at him funny. And he said, if you don't participate in the learning, you're wasting everyone's time. And I don't want you to waste my time. I'll just take the check and run. And of course, he was escorted out the door. His point was, if you're not learning, you're not leading. And th there are others that tell that story as well. I, I have some, some quotes on that on my own website. Then there's also a situation, one of my client companies that I'm currently working for, it was really interesting to me. I was asked to do some training specifically on style preferences uh, for the organization and rolling this out to the group. And one of his managers had suggested that the level of leadership over him would benefit. 
benefit from this. So I contacted them and his leader told me he's already been through the basics and he didn't need it. Um, fast forward three months, that leader was let go because he wasn't growing with the organization. It's sort of, here's real life example of if you're not learning, you're not leading. And the assumption that he didn't have to learn anything more, at least on this topic, the thing is that's an indicator of actually his attitude. It ended that part of his career. And it could end your career too, whether you're a leader or not. Right, right. If you allow yourself to atrophy, that muscle is not going to be effective, if you right. know what I mean. Well, how, you should how not do you allow stay relevant? Your, well, how do you stay up to date? Exactly. You know, uh, here's the thing, is that the skills required to be successful 10 years ago aren't always the skills successful today. And, and so what's going to be needed in 10 years? If you're not growing with whatever it is that you're working with, how are you going to be ready? Yeah. I mean, I, I think of my dad that way. He was a civil engineer and he was a big drafting kind of guy, right? He had the big drafting table sure. and the, you know, the pencils and the erasers and the slide rule. I mean, yeah. everything manual. Sure. And then AutoCAD came on the uh -huh. scene, right? So now I have CAD, a computer-aided drawing program that does all this stuff for me. He wasn't willing to learn that technology. Right. And he became irrelevant. Now, it's also interesting when, when you think about uh, assuming you don't need to learn anything, there's also the aspect that assuming that what you learned in the past isn't going to help you. And then we sort of shift the tables to getting back to basics. The work that I do specifically is about getting back to the basics of human interaction and how that doesn't change. It's the tools we use that changes. As I work with organizations on skilling up employees because that organization knows that there's a subset that they're not going to be relevant anymore, but they don't want to lose their employees. So how do we build their skills so that they're ready for the next iteration of work that they're doing? This is the kind of thing that where an organization that is smart enough to realize that they have to skill up their people for the future, those people actually have a fighting chance to stay relevant. But how do you do that on your own? Well, the idea that you don't have to learn anything new to stay where you need to be, that's going to be the first thing you want to jettison. Get rid of that idea. Keep learning. And there are so many examples out there of top leaders in business, top leaders, I think, in just about anything. Uh, it could be something outside of business. One of the key things that they keep talking about is they never stop learning. That brings us to the next assumption, and that is assuming everybody has the same information or the same available information. Right. Or I guess this could be no one knows more than you. You're the subject matter expert. That, I mean, that's a good position to be in. It's not where I would want to live all the time because that means I'm not growing. There's also another side of that, the, the idea that someone should know something. That may or may not be true. I, I think where I like to, to get people to start with this assumption is what is happening right now? Okay, so maybe you do more, know more than a lot of other people. And I think about someone I know, I'm actually related to him, who knows a lot about a lot of things, but he also is completely devoid of empathy. And so there's a lack of self-awareness there. And the idea that he knows more than so many other people, and he actually knows what to do with that information, that's great for him. He, he's been very successful in his 
career. He makes more money than Moses. And I mean, it's just amazing how good his life is. Now, I would be really interested to find out if he actually considers himself happy because not all his behavior says he is. The idea that he assumes that he knows more per- puts him in a certain box. And people talk about him as being something of a prima donna and being a know-it-all. And that's not necessarily where I would want to be. There's also the side that, okay, everybody else knows more than me. And does that put me in a situation where I'm approaching everything that I'm not enough? Okay, that also is a li- Yeah, that is a liability un- unto itself. If we also make the mistake of assuming that the person that I'm talking to should know something, we can open a door that we didn't really intend to open. And that has also happened to me. That's often when you get stuck in your, I think, in your own mind or your own work. And you assume somebody around you can see what work you're doing. Right. And the objective, and maybe they were, maybe you assume they were even copied on an email. Not only that, but you're assuming they actually read it. The experience I've had most often was having a conversation with someone, and we were talking about leadership skills and what it would take to build that person's division in terms of how to get people moving along to overcome the problems they, they were having at specific branches of their business, that sort of thing. And so she put me in touch with her leader. It was basically an interview where she was talking to me about the value that I might be able to bring the organization. And I assumed that she had the same knowledge as the person who had introduced me to her. And in fact, I was mistaken. She did not have that knowledge. And instead of exploring the information that I had given her, she was more afraid of how she might look bad if I were to come in with an understanding of other aspects of her company. I I mean, it totally blew up in my face because I made the assumption that she should know the same thing as her subordinate. And that was a problem. So what did I learn from this? Test my assumptions first. Ask for clarification. Asking questions makes a huge difference because I had a similar experience, but it's because I got a new leader and they assumed that I knew all of the things that they had talked about the last year as regards to policy and execution of, of coaching. And I didn't. I didn't have any of that information. And so instead of, you know, her coming and saying, hey, well, what don't you know? Here's what you have to do. That brings us to the sixth assumption. And that is assuming everyone communicates the way you do. Right. I do a lot of work in this space around style preference, communication preferences, the whole interaction preferences. The model that I use is DISC, and there are a lot of brands of DISC out there, but I do a lot of work with organizations on this. And it really ties into what had happened to me with the the leader that I was talking about. This is true of all of us in terms of our instinctive communication. We assume that everyone thinks and communicates the way we do, that everyone approaches life the way we do. Yes, there will be some differences that we can have an intellectual awareness about, but we still approach things based on our own way of thinking and communicating. This is basically where conflict begins, because I'm going to judge myself by my intentions, and I'm going to judge others by their behaviors. And I will judge their behaviors based on what I would be thinking or feeling if I were to do or say the same thing. Well, that's the first problem. Bringing, coming back to the example that I, I just talked about, this, this leader who didn't know what her subordinates knew, I also expected that she would communicate with me the way I understood her style preference to be because she is the influential type and she's very enthusiastic and very positive. What I failed to remember in that moment was how she behaves at work is different for whatever reasons. And I won't go into the 
the reasons why I think she does behave the way she does. She took what I had to say in a way that would be different for her if she were to say the same things or to bring up the topics that I brought up, if she were to do it, she would be thinking or feeling something very different. And what I lacked in that moment was a recognition of her responses to the information that I was giving. I was just giving her information that I thought she already knew. I was just confirming it. That was my mistake. And she probably gave me some communication cues that I missed. Granted, it was over the phone. I still, I, I missed them because I was assuming that I had read her correctly in terms of her communication style, about her values, about all these things. Instead, what I have been able to do since that conversation, because I still have some interaction with her, albeit distant, it has been really instructive for me because now I can approach her in a more correct way, if you will, certainly a more effective way, and still be authentic. That brings us to assumption number seven. Assuming the norms and the accepted work practices that you're involved in stay consistent when you get a new leader or even a new team member? Oh, that is a good point. I'm working right now with an organization that has a new senior vice president coming into a large division. Actually, this is the third one I think they've had just within the last six months. So we've seen some huge turnover among senior leaders as well as some middle managers. Heaven only knows what has been going on with their their frontline employees. Um, They've been dealing with a lot of change at the highest levels. And so the idea that the new leader is going to come in and simply pick up where the old leader left off is a huge mistake. Huge mistake. Because there's a reason why the old leader isn't there. There's a reason why this new leader was brought in. And it's probably not to maintain the status quo. This is where it requires a little heightened awareness on your side to not assume that that leader and the norms that you remember were valid are going to continue. And that means you need to make sure you confirm Take some extra steps, meet with your new leader, understand what the new norms might look like moving forward, and make sure that you know what those are before you start down the path of continuing with the norms that were, and then you run against the norms that should be. Right. And you have a problem. And I also think about how this applies to those who aren't in an organization. They're not currently working and they're looking for work. If you know who the leader used to be, don't assume that the practices that that leader, the the former leader had, are currently in play under new leadership. I can think about uh, an organization that I actually, I'm their customer, but I happen to have some contacts within the organization where I know that they have a new head of HR. And so just the people side of their business business has shifted rather dramatically just in the last few months since the new HR person came on. Once again, if you know that there's been a change, don't assume that what used to be true is still true. Things may be changing, and that may actually be your opportunity to move into a really good position and where your skills can shine. Always keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, yeah. Always keep your head on Preferably not on the pike. Yeah, exactly. Well, unless you want to be there. That brings us to assumption number eight. Assuming that your career isn't where it's supposed to be isn't about you. Let's unpack that a little bit. The idea that your career isn't where it's supposed to be, all right? Uh, This brings us back to what we were talking about. Someone should know something. There are no shoulds. Don't should yourself. Yeah, it gets messy. Don't go there. So when you're thinking about where my, my career 
behavior is supposed to be. What really matters is where you are. What are you dealing with right now? And I come back to Eckhart Tolle, and I know that that he became popular after Oprah talked about The Power of Now. It actually was a really good book for me to read. It resonated a lot. What I came away with is you can't do anything about where you are versus your goal without addressing what is happening right now, because that's the only thing that matters. What's happened in the past, yes, you can learn from it. That's the part that matters, but that's what you carry in the now. What happens in the future, it hasn't happened yet. There's nothing you can do about it other than what you're doing right now. If your career isn't where you wanted it to be, that's a different thought. Don't go to the place of where it's supposed to be, because now you're shooting it. I should be somewhere. Well, accept the fact that you aren't. Now you ha- can move on to whether or not it's all about you. This is where ownership comes in. Sure. We need to own where we are right now. We need to own the path up until today. And yes, there may have been some influences that impacted us. There's no doubt about that. Take ownership of what today is giving you and decide where do I want to go in the future and make that adjustment. And if you can do that, ownership is really something that I would encourage everybody or the word responsibility. I'm responsible for my career. Yes, I'm taking ownership of my career. I am the arbiter, the agent of my change. Coming back to the idea of hyperbole, you know, the always or never, I really struggle to help people who say, oh, well, it's always about me. I'm the common denominator in all of these failures, so that must mean blank. No, it doesn't. It's never an always situation. Isn't that kind of an irony there? The idea, though, is, yes, there are elements that you played into, and that's the part that you own. That's where the responsibility comes in. But there are things outside your control as well. So then you move to the other side. Oh, well, it's people succeed only because of the breaks that they're given. No, that's not true either. It's not only the opportunities that they faced. It's really a combination of the two. Am I in this position now because I've lacked breaks? Well, yeah, maybe in some cases, but it's also based on some of the choices that I've made. Now, is it completely based on the choices I've made? Some people say yes. I think there's an element of chance involved in the world. The chance of getting those breaks, 1% of actors, and I think that might even be generous, 1% of actors really become household names. 1%. That means 99% never do. But that doesn't mean that they weren't successful in their careers, that they weren't really good actors. It just means that they didn't have quite the same combination of breaks, decisions, all those other things. Some of it is on the other side. This is where I think it really pays to avoid blaming. Oh, thank you. Blaming somebody else, blaming yourself, blaming your circumstance, blaming the world or the political leader of the day that you don't like. Here's the thing. Just the blame, much like assumptions, blaming doesn't do anything productive. It doesn't. I find it to be counterproductive. It slows you down. It takes your focus off what you need it on. And that's true of anything. Blame is the most counterproductive effort you'll ever make. So instead, what can you learn from it? How can you grow? That brings us to assumption number nine. Assuming a company won't fire, lay off, terminate your employment just because you're invaluable. Oh, yeah. Or indispensable. That's great. There are problems with that. Let's just take for a moment the idea that you are indispensable. That you have put yourself in a situation where you are the only person who can bring the value you bring to your organization. I have serious red flags 
flying in my head when I meet these types. And they do exist. My first question is, how on earth can you move on with your career if that's your status, that you are the only one who can do what you can do? Because there will come a day when that is no longer relevant. And you're setting yourself up for that moment of suddenly being Willie Loman and not being able to move on with the world who has left you behind. Big, big red flags around being that indispensable. But it also means that you can never take a vacation. You can never take time off. You can never be as good of a leader as you might be by developing the people around you. There's just so much wrong with that picture. Well, to think regardless of your circumstance sure. that any company isn't going to fire, lay off, or terminate you is foolish thinking. Every company has a situation where they might be going through some financial woe. You know, I, I'm not after the motivations of a layoff and I may not agree with it. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it's not reality. Right. Because I coach these people every day. I know there's people out there that felt like, hey, I was with this company 20, 25, 30 years. Right. I gave them my heart, soul. I have their logo tattooed on my, my backside, whatever that looks like. Okay. They're that big of a fan. For our listeners, he pointed to his arm. What I'm suggesting is, is you can take it too far. That, hey, I'm such a big fan of this organization. They would never do that to well, little old me. And... To make that matter even worse is when you're working for a company that says, oh, that's not our culture. We don't lay people off. Oh, my goodness. Yes, they do. I'm working with an organization that that is their motto, albeit unprinted. They tell people all the time, oh, we're not the type to lay people off. They do. Oh, we'll just fire them. That's not a layoff, well, right? Yeah, no, I mean... Termination. How However you want to define it, the yeah. idea that you're making the assumption that, that you will not be laid off is a dangerous one. Because when the day comes when you or your colleague is, it will change the way you view your company. And you can prevent that by having an open mind and open eyes all of the time. That doesn't mean that you have to become cynical. It doesn't mean that you have to be distrustful. It does mean that you have to approach this, that there are going to be times when the worst does happen. And you have to ask yourself if you're prepared for it. The flip side of that one, though, Scott, is the, the idea that you're completely dispensable. The Dude. person who's indispensable and the one that never thinks they're they're good enough. Uh, yeah, that they're we, completely dispensable. That, and we talked a little bit about that before, but this is really where it, it comes into play. The person who thinks that, oh, well, you know, I don't have enough value to offer the organization. As a manager or a leader, how do I get that person engaged enough to really be of value? And they may have good reason. They may, they may have some reason for feeling that their self-doubt takes over. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to suggest that those who deal with anxiety or depression or some of these other things that, that really do play a real part of the workplace, that they don't have real reasons for having those feelings and that they can suddenly just talk themselves out of it. I don't mean to cast a net over all of that. But what I am suggesting is for those who approach their work that they are never good enough, they probably wouldn't have been hired if they weren't good enough. Let's change that conversation to talk about where they are good enough. What does that look like? And to work on that sense of self-confidence because they do bring value 
to their work. They do bring value, perspective, their history, the things that they've learned. All of this can be used to their advantage and the advantage of the organization they work in. That's really a self-defeating situation that we need to help them through that. Because that can then lead to, oh, I'm assuming things will never get better. I'm assuming there's nothing. This is the end, right? right? And then you're like, okay, how dark can it really get? This also plays into those who have been unemployed for a while, especially the long-term unemployed. You know, I'm unemployable. Well, that's not true either. You're currently in a situation that you need some new perspectives. So what does that look like? And maybe bearing them up with the people who think they're indispensable. I don't know. (laughs) There needs to be a balance here. The advice that I would give someone in that situation, especially in the dark place, is to say, let's have you talk to people who can talk about the value that you do bring and to build yourself up from that point of view. I would also give the advice to, say, for instance, a leader who thinks that they know more than everyone else or that they are, in fact, indispensable. Let's talk about how you would prepare for that scenario of where you aren't relevant anymore. What do we need to do in that case? And it's not because you're bad on either side of that. It's how are you growing? And are you too protective of your work? And are you unwilling to hand some of that work off to somebody else so that you can take a vacation? Right. Right. So as a leader, I want to be able to see my team and see where's the hurt? Where can I make better something that's not as it should be? And that approach will also help you if you're the one in the dark place. That how can I help others? Because that's generally speaking, an easy way to get out of that dark place is to start helping others. Well, let's get out of that dark place right now with with the 10th and final assumption. Assumption number 10, assuming that people trust you. And the flip side, assuming that people don't. Wow. So where do you go from there? I mean, I'm in that right now where, you know, I'm not going to disclose too much, but the leader that I was following at my company um, had a medical event and he's no longer in the workplace. Okay. And so someone is filling in for that person and this person I don't trust. Because I don't know them. Right. The person that left, complete 100% trust or pretty close to it. Right. So what do you do in that situation? You have to start over again. And I think that's true also of those whom you distrust, that you have a real reason not to trust. There are still good things that can come of that. It's just going in with eyes wide open. And I think that's true on both sides of this coin, that everyone trusts you or that no one trusts you. Walk into every interaction with your eyes wide open and thinking about how can you serve the person in front of you, whether that's a leader, a subordinate, whomever. How can I be of service? to the person that I'm currently dealing with. Because if I have that approach and with my eyes wide open to see how am I impacting this person? How are they responding? What are their values? And I'm not going to make a judgment on the first conversation either, the first interaction. I want to start watching for patterns. What are the values that this person holds through their behavior? How am I validating that I'm understanding those values well and accurately. How am I able to provide service to this person within the realm of my work, but how am I able to help that person? I want to think about how 
how I'm landing, how I'm impacting, how what I bring to the table can be impactful. To be observant of the other person, what patterns are there, how can I adapt my communication style or the way I talk about certain things, whatever that is. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm not making assumptions that trust has been established quickly or that trust cannot be established quickly. I want to be able to read what's happening right now and watch for patterns over time. Just because you have or don't have trust doesn't mean you can't give trust, meaning there's things like you said, you approach the situation and you give the trust with your eyes open. Think of it that way. If you're giving trust, what does that look like? You know what? You give something to somebody else without expectation of return or volunteer to do a project when you know they're overworked, right? So there's things that you can do that'll make you feel good about making a contribution. Sure without having trust. And so that's where you might take some ownership of the situation. And just because you don't have trust doesn't mean you can't perform. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think about the, the concept that whatever you put out there is mirrored back to you. And we think of this often in terms of leadership. And of course, this comes through in my leadership coaching all the time, that it is incumbent upon the leader to show trust first. And I, I don't remember to whom the quote is attributed, but the idea that the only way to make someone trustworthy is to trust him. There's there's an element of truth in that. So I, I'm talking to leaders about trusting their people and they will get the trust in return. That's not unique to leaders. I will do that with my leader to reveal certain feelings or to be vulnerable to a certain point. I don't overdo it. I don't reveal too much or I try not to, but I will at least establish a certain level of vulnerability. So hopefully I will get that back. And in showing up time after time in an authentic and open way, the likelihood that the other person will show up similarly is increased. Because they want rapport and acceptance. Sure. Just like you do. So that's it, folks. That's the 10 worst assumptions you can make in your career. We hope that this has brought value to your interactions. Moving forward, if you want to follow up with us to get some more specific information about the, the situation you're currently in, we've got a way to do that. First of all, go to jobseekersradio.com forward slash 074, and you'll be able to see the show notes and all of the resources available for this topic on the 10 worst assumptions. And at the same time, go down to the bottom and you'll see a, a free resource, and that's The Anatomy of a Networking Conversation. It's an ebook that Scott and I have put together with companion audio. We did a series of podcasts on the topic. You can certainly go listen to those on, on our website. The links and the resources are in a single document for your easy use and application. So go ahead and go to the website and download that. That's our, our free gift to you. So with that said, you'll also be able to give us some feedback. And that's where if you have something you want us to talk about in a future podcast that answers the questions based on what we've just discussed today, please send us that information. You can find that on our website. You can also go to iTunes and you can subscribe to get future episodes. You can also leave us a rate and review. And in that review, that's another way for you to, to get us feedback, to ask us questions, 
questions to let us know what's on your mind. We are committed to making this the single greatest job-seeking podcast on the internet. We want your help in doing that too. That's why we need your help with topics, questions, anything on your mind right now, guess what? Someone else probably has that same question. That's right. And a lot of what we do comes from that. So with that said, I'm Scott. And I'm Andrew. In the words of Mark Parker, curiosity is life, assumption is death. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.